We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. How would you like a free case of craft beer? Well, as a listener to our show, we'd like to thank you for listening. And with the help of our friends at Beer52.com, we can do just that. Just go to Beer52.com forward slash vision. That's Beer, the number 52.com forward slash vision to claim a free case. Beer 52 is the world's most popular monthly craft beer discovery club. They search out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. There is a whole world of craft beer out there. You don't have to drink the same thing over and over again. You don't have to order beer not knowing what you like. Just get on board with discovering great craft beer with Beer52.com. Listeners who sign up now will get to discover fantastic beers from the winners of the Raise the Bar competition. Beer 52 search for the UK's best new small brewers in partnership with London Craft Beer Festival. Enjoy the likes of Unity's 7% Export Stout, Boxcar's Belgian IPA, and West by 3's Mothership with Passion Fruit. As a listener to our show, you can try your first case for free. Just pay £2.95 postage. That's it. Eight incredible craft beers delivered to you, Ferment Magazine, and a snack. There's no minimum commitment. You can just take the free case, try the beer, see what you think. If it's not for you, you can pause, cancel any time. Beer 52 has a five-star rating on Trustpilot, so it's easy to see that their members love the service. Do it now. Try some craft beer. Just visit beer52.com. That's www.beer52.com forward slash vision and claim your free case today. Try it, beer52.com. It is the way to learn more about great beers around the world. Offer valid in the UK only. What a Let no man forget how menacing we are. We are lions. You're like a big bear, man. 
This is your time. Seize the day. Never surrender. Victory or death. That's the Chicago way. Who's with me? Clap! Clap! Don't let him die! Clap! All right, let's fly! And gentlemen in England, now I bed. Shall no! My name is the Lord! Would I tell our enemies that they may take our lives? But they'll never take our top four trophies! This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. This is the season preview podcast, and I am so excited for this episode. We've been building up to it all summer. The season is finally here on our doorstep. It is Christmas Eve for football fans and for Arsenal fans, the dawn of a new era, a new manager, no, coach, but still a new coach, some players to be excited about, maybe some players to be worried about, and we will have everybody on to give their predictions to give their thoughts about the highs and lows of the season and where it might end up. So we are very excited. But before we get to that, I want to do a little housekeeping. A few things. So with this podcast, we are launching our shirt giveaway. We're going to give away an Arsenal shirt. Home, away, third kit, your choice, player of your choice. You want Aubameyang, you want Ozil, you want (laughs) Mustafi. Hey, it's your call, your shirt. You can win it. Just go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com. You'll find the shirt giveaway there. There'll be a simple question to answer based on this podcast episode, and we will leave that up until probably the post-Chelsea podcast when we will announce the winner. And it is totally free. It will be shipped to you. So good luck. And to those of you who hate the shirt, bad luck. Uh, The other thing I want to announce is the launch of our Patreon page. Some of you have been quite industrious and sought it out and signed up for it already, in which case we love you. The important thing to know is that we love you regardless. We love you for listening. We love you for supporting this podcast as it has grown. And we want to continue to grow the podcast. And there are so many things we want to do. We want to do live shows. Uh, We are going to try live halftime shows. In fact, we should have one for the City game this weekend. And we're really excited about that. So a few things I want to tell you about Patreon. First of all, the regular podcast will always be the focus. It will always be free. You will always have access to it. So if you don't want to support on Patreon, that's totally fine. If you don't have the means, of course, no problem at all. Uh, but of course, if you do want to support us, we love you and we appreciate that support. And that will go into us being able to ramp up live shows, additional content, bring on uh, additional contributors. Because one thing I really believe in is if people want to contribute to the podcast, we also want to be able to compensate them for doing that. So that's something that I think will really help us. And you can go to patreon.com forward slash Arsenal Vision Podcast, or you can go to arsenalvision.com, uh, go to the support tab. You'll be able to see uh, what the Patreon is about, what you get for signing up. But the basics of it are, for example, when we do live shows, those will always be free and accessible. But what we'll probably do is then take the recordings of those live shows and put those out for Patreon subscribers. And one thing we are considering doing is letting Patreon subscribers have access to listen into the show live as we are recording from time to time. So, of course, the podcast will go out totally free to everybody, as always. Um, But if you want to listen live during the recording, uh, we're going to make that available from time to time. We might even try that with the Post City podcast. So the most important thing is we love you for listening to us, for supporting us by listening, uh, for getting involved and interacting on Twitter, and as we get more involved on Facebook, that is as well. Certainly not our strong suit, but we're working on it. Um, And it just means the world to us that you will be with us throughout this season, and we think it's going to be a really exciting one, an interesting one. And if you have any feedback or comments, just let us know. So without further ado, I want to introduce everyone, and here we go. It is the Season Preview Podcast. 
First up is Paul. Paul's on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Clive is on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. We've already suffered a loss. Uh, the transfer window has taken its toll. Out goes Ospina, but also out for this episode goes Tim. Uh, we could not settle on a contract with him. So for right now, I'm kidding. Uh, actually, Tim has life stuff. Life stuff does pop up. Uh, we try to forget it because Arsenal is so ingrained in our lives and, and so much a part of what we think about and do. But but we certainly look forward to Tim coming on in the future. He did want me to make sure I told you that his prediction for the season is that Arsenal win the treble. So thank you, Tim. Uh, and listen for Tim in a future pod. The nice thing, guys, Arsenal doesn't always behave. They don't always support us, the people making the content. But they did in this case. They made a nice, quiet transfer window uh, uh, deadline day so we can focus on a season preview pod and god bless them for that really just ospina going out not much else to mention so let's dive into the window and clive i'll start with you uh american letter grade style grade our summer business and why um i would say <laughs> you know me the optimist i'll give it a b maybe not for the quality of player but the approach that we've taken. And so what we've done, we've we've made ourselves transparently efficient. We moved quickly. We went for the problem areas. We can debate the quality, but we've really gone for the positions that are were a problem, right? So, um, And maybe people will say, well, you know what, Clive, what are you talking about? You haven't got a left centre-half, you haven't got a left back, and you haven't got a wide player. Well, when you put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, but there were some serious gaps in the the goalkeeper area, in the central defence area, and the centre midfield area. And what they've done is they've really added a little bit of tenacity, competitiveness, and, and... and real dog, and I think that's encouraging. And I think what we've seen preseason potentially we we may see something else when the real games start. But I'll hold it there. I'll give it a B for now. Okay, a B. I, I don't mind you giving it a B, but I do think that in your defense of the B, you made more of an argument for a D. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Um, so Paul, earlier, yeah. you, you always made a mistake that I actually listen to the questions, but I actually don't. I just sort of say what I'm going to say. So. Oh, oh no, <laughs> I, have, I have no misapprehension about that at all. I may start uh, no, so asking you questions keep, keep, in, in gibberish. Keep pulling me back. Keep pulling me back. Happy I, to do I it. Go um, offline. Okay, yeah. so Paul. Uh, I, I think Clive has made a very strong argument. What letter grade he made an argument for aside, what letter grade are you going to give our summer business? Well, I'm actually going to listen very closely to your question, Elliot. Um, so I will divide the team into four parts, attack, middle, defense, and goalkeeper. Uh, the, those last two are kind of related. But anyway, I think attack-wise, there wasn't too much to do, and so not screwing that up is good. Um we had a really good attack, especially in the second half of last year. Um, our, I think what we did in the midfield, the toughest conundrum for us, of course, we haven't seen a play yet, but with Torreira and maybe we even got more lucky than we thought we did with Gwen. Um, uh, feel pretty good about the midfield. So I'm, I'm an A and an A for attack and midfield. Uh, defense... Oh, okay. We'll come back to that. And then, Great. Um, go- yeah, yeah. Goalkeeper, we don't really know, but we made a move and it was decisive and he's interesting and he's either what people fear he is or 
what people hope he is. So, but it's it's preseason, so we're supposed to be excited about it. So, I would say pretty close to an A across those three departments. And defensively, um, we brought in Socrates uh, and let go of Chambers. And in theory, um, you know, if we brought in Socrates and we know what we're doing, but there's a lot of debate on that. Uh, that's a goodish move, but we lost Chambers, and it looks like that was maybe a little bit of a mess. Maybe we were looking for somebody, but only at the right price with the right skill levels. So I think if I average all of that out, uh, the concern, the, the the problematic area is the center backs, the full backs, etc. Uh, I'm okay what we did with the full backs at the end of the day. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Monreal are okay on the left side for me, and we're strong on the right side. So I would give it overall a B plus. I would have given it a B, except we moved so early in the window that all our players are bedded in, and so fair fucks to that. You know, uh, leaving it to the last moment, which is our previous modus operandi, uh, meant we would be months into the season before we knew what the fuck we were doing. So you you got to give them a boost for having done this all a month or months out. So I'm going with the B plus. You guys, look. As a graduate of Princeton University, I am no stranger to grading on a curve, <laughs> okay? It was a big part of uh, how I made it through that university, but you guys are taking that to a whole new level. I think you have to look at the summer the way you guys said it, in my opinion. What did we need an attack, if anything? The attack was pretty strong, but you could say we needed a wide player. We didn't bring one in. Then you look in the midfield. You say, what did we need in the midfield? And you say, we need someone who can uh, shield the back four, who's a little bit of a technical upgrade on what we did before with someone like Coughlin. And I think we absolutely did that. And we hit the ball out of the park, not just in terms of the guy we got in Torreira, but in terms of his age profile, which is great. You look at the defense and you say, okay, Chambers out, Socrates in. I don't know that that makes our central defense better. A guy who's coming off one of his worst seasons in his career, admittedly in a tough situation, who is really at the the top of the age curve, getting rid of a guy who finished last season strong, has experience with us, and is you know maybe in the right position in, in the age curve to really kick on. So not really sure how that fixes a problem, especially when Koscielny has an injury that, let's face it, some people's careers are ended by that injury. Fullback, I don't have a problem with the Licksteiner move. The, the age thing is a question, except he's a backup, and it's hard to find someone to be a backup for a guy who's going to play all the minutes like Bellerin does. Then you go to goalkeeper, and I will admit, I was not excited about Leno, but the one thing, when you look at what Liverpool had to pay for Allison and what Chelsea have just paid for Kepa, and you know the deals for goalkeepers this summer, weirdly, I think people got confused between goalkeepers and strikers this summer and paid striker money for goalkeepers because there's really no other way to explain it. So I'm actually a little bit more understanding of the Leno move when you see a guy who looks like he can distribute well with his feet, which is what we need, and... and you know, we'll have to find out how he does in terms of keeping the ball out of his net, which is kind of an important part of the job. But we took a relatively old squad. We didn't necessarily make it younger in the way we might have liked. We didn't get the wide forward. We didn't really solve our center back problem. So I think it's got to be a C at best. Midfield, sure. The other departments, we didn't really do much of anything. Now, if Ganduzi becomes a star, again, midfield just becomes an even stronger part of the pitch. We also didn't get Ramsey signed to a contract, which I think doing something with Ramsey, signing, selling, or something, right? Uh, those That was good alliteration that I didn't plan. But signing, selling, or something would have been on the list of things we had to get done. So 
I, I struggle to see it as being more than a C because C for me is kind of par, and at best, I think we were par. So, you know, we... Uh, Elliot, I yes. would give your alliteration a C. No, Clive, do you want do you want to come back sure. to this or do you want me oh, to? Oh, 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 I'm, I'm ready to go, man. You guys I'm can pile on. Shit. Bring it. Clive <laughs> first. Put, um, let me just put my shin pads on, right? And then, okay. then we go from there. So, no, I think... Um, so, your, posi- your points are all valid okay moving on your head (laughs) if you got your head down in arsenal world right so in our world those minor details and they are some of those minor some of those are major that's what we walk with every single day as we're walking around in our daily lives we know these things are there for us to resolve right we don't really know the performance levels of our players but what if you take yourself out and do the thirty thousand foot view what are we lacking right from a we have got wonderful creative forwards we lack a little bit of tenaciousness a little bit of devil a little bit of leadership a little bit of solidity a little bit of intensity right that's what we lack that's what we lack that costs us the 15 or so points at bournemouth at brighton at swansea should I keep going? Jesus, right? at Brighton. Um, <laughs> Just at, you saying at, it at, reminds me how bad at, it had gotten. <laughs> you know, to drop points at West Brom, to drop points at Stoke. They're both relegated, by the way. Um, should I keep going? No, no. I, if, I, if, I think if, you've given most of us PTSD at this point. Yeah. Yes. So just, just add, let's just add what we need to add to beat those teams, right? And that completely changes how we're perceived, right? So, and I think the club potentially on paper and we don't really know because this skill set of leadership tenaciousness of doggedness you don't see that in pre-season you see that when it counts in competition so i'm trying to make a point that actually has not been validated yet because pre-season is about patterns play running fitness load loading on physicality not resting for games Sessions before games, sessions after games. It's about load, 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 load. So we haven't seen the players like Listeiner, like Socrates, what they were bought for, and like Torreira, which is to add that leadership within the dressing room and to set an example about how we play. We haven't really seen that. So what stood out for us has been the the baubles on the Christmas tree, the floaty players like mate. Um, like Maitland-Niles, like Smith-Rowe and like Genduzzi. The players that work from a platform that those dogs provide. But we haven't seen the dogs yet. And I think when you look down, we have made a, a real attempt to fix what's missing in this team, add some resolve, add some platform to the talent we have in the upper end of the pitch. And I think from that perspective, the club have approached this appropriately. And a little bit like the the LA Lakers, um, Elliot, you know, they added a lot of those sort of um, seasoned pros, a little bit older. Like LeBron James. Short (laughs) contracts. But, you know, I'm talking about, you know, Rajon Rondo and... um, Jamal McGee and like um, Lance uh, yeah. Stevenson yeah, and, um, and those you see where I'm going they added them and said we need to solidify things we've got some young talent we need some dogs to make sure we can bring that young talent on and I think Arsenal follows a similar recruitment strategy bring some dogs in bring in some young talent use these guys to mature those talents give them a role 
make sure they understand their role. They mm-hmm. can be the leaders in the room and they can be the bridging loan as such, to use that oh, term. Great, sure, bring that <laughs> yeah. into the conversation. <laughs> yeah, see how I did that? See what I did there? I they could be the bridging loan to when we really go. And then we add the quality on top of those youngsters at the right age okay. profile. So I think we've approached it in a sensible way. Before I let Paul come back in, let me just say this one thing. I want to distinguish between the letter grade I'm giving our summer business and my appraisal of the squad overall. Because I actually feel pretty good about most of what we have in place. I'm appraising the summer business from really what I think were three key needs. First of all, you can't concede the amount of goals we did last season without needing to fix that part. And I think we tried to address it. I'm not totally convinced by the way we did. I think the second thing is we had to try to start to reset the age profile of the squad a little bit. And we really leaned into the age profile more than resetting it for the most part, with obviously some notable exceptions. And then, you know, last but not least, I think the Aaron Ramsey thing was obviously a big uh, millstone around our neck, something that we had to solve and we didn't. So all of those things are sort of why I'm, I'm coming down where I am. It doesn't mean I don't rate the squad. It's just my appraisal of the business. Paul, we have so much to get to. So why don't you put a last word on this and then we'll, we'll bounce back and forth on a couple of other preseason uh, predictions. Well, I think Clive handled it pretty well. But the one thing I would say is to me, our main area we didn't address, obviously, is defense. But we wouldn't be the first team looking at Pep and looking at uh, Klopp who prioritized um, getting the upfield part of the team sorted and using a system and using pressing uh, in an intelligent way to be the vanguard of defense and requiring uh, front-footed defenders, which is what we have and what we bought. So, uh, you know, this isn't our last iteration. This isn't isn't our last hand. There'll be January, there'll be the next window, but we're basically trying to fix upfield. We were a very pressing team last year. Uh, We'll be at least as pressing this year, but we'll just do it better so that when teams beat the press, we don't get shafted down the middle and against our defense. And I think the defenders we have suit that profile. And if we train and drill to that system, then our defense, uh, I mean, we'll see. But the theory must be our def- our defenders are good enough and front-footed enough and suit the system enough that we'll get enough gains in the other areas to make a difference this season and we'll supplement as we go along. I guess that's the plan. Yeah. I mean, I don't, look, I don't disagree that I hope that's the case, obviously. Yeah. I have concerns and we'll see. Yep. That's the best thing about the yep. season. We're going to find out. So uh, l- let's go with a couple of, of more rapid fire things. I'll stay with you, Paul, so you can get a first shot at this one. What, in your opinion, is the minimal, minimum successful season where at the end of the season you would say, if the following things have happened, I will consider the season a success? It's a tough one because I, in the end of the day, you can't do it. You can, and we will. You can't do it by ranking in the league because you can only control what's under your um, control. So, so is it really can, just in the end the, the love you make is equal to the love you take? Is that, is that really what we're saying here? Elliot, I'm trying to make a serious point here. <laughs> I doubt it, but go for it. <laughs> so, you know, fourth or fifth, yeah, if you're talking about placings in the league, fourth or fifth, but a real go at the top four um, is is a minimum requirement. But actually, it's more about 
do we look coherent? For me, the bottom line is, do we have an operating midfield that makes attack and defense work well? Uh, which, to me, we haven't had the ability, A, to get a, a first-line working midfield, and B, uh, a, a, a group of players that can play with each other so that we can make changes, we can rotate. So uh, mine's more about how we play and our process and whether there's structure, and it, so it's a hard-to-measure thing. I don't really, uh, I care where we come, but that's kind of a, that's one side of my brain. The, the part of me that really cares uh, about how we play this year is do we think, do the things that Emery should bring to us? Does, do we bring a coherent, structured system? Do we seem to be making progress? Do the guys seem to be buying in? It might take us the first half of the season, but by the second half of the season, do we look like a team uh, playing in a way that can get to where we need to in the second year. So okay. I, does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're basically you're saying a minimum successful season is based more on whether you see progress in the way we are playing, the system we're using, the tactical approach, and is it coherent? Is it modern? Is it something that we think we can build on to go in the direction we need to go? I think that's perfectly reasonable. Clive, do you have a different take on what the minimum successful season is? Perhaps something a, a little less millennial, a little less you know, uh, abstract, <laughs> well, a, a little well, less participation well, trophy? I mean, do, do you want to go with some uh, actual yeah, achievement well, Paul's here? Like, um, he's done a Clive, is he? He's completely disregarded your question and come up with something else, right? So, Forgive me if I, I have a bit of an inferiority complex purely, here. Yeah, go ahead. From, from a factual perspective, from a, an achievement perspective, I would love to see Arsenal win the Europa League. I, I would yeah. really like that. I think I think if you look at our history, um, we have a decent history in the FA Cup, in the in the first division or Premier League. But our history in Europe is, is not becoming of the club of our size. Right? So if I could choose one, I would choose that one. I think it's absolutely imperative that we are back in the top four. I think that would be progression and that would lay a platform for the next phase of our recruitment strategy. And I think for me, if, if I go in, if I sort of veer into Paul's world a little bit, I think um, for me, it's about having the personality and belief that we are on the way back. And I've been looking at football a lot over the summer and I've, I've got some new thoughts and they'll come out over the season. But one thing I feel that's really important is the stress levels in football for young players today, I think, has gone up through the roof. I generally worry for the kickback when players don't produce. We had a laugh at Carius, the Liverpool goalkeeper, but I, I generally worry for players and when they don't perform under the spotlight and what's actually happening to them on the mental side of things. I think what the best coaches are doing now, they are over-coaching to relieve stress on the players. They're reducing their roles. They are formulating a pattern. They're formulating a plan. And they're saying, I've got you. You are comfortable with me. I'm going to give you five things to do and you're going to focus on them and you're going to produce. And I look at Guardiola, I look at how he coaches, I look at how he reduces roles, but increases output. A classic example is Raheem Sterling. He's stopped him roaming around. He's told him what spots to hit in the box. 
and how many side foot passes has he had into the net? He scored 16 goals last year and he's now found his goal scoring touch. I think he's the same player. He's bright, he's tricky, he's got acceleration, he can go both ways. But now he's scoring because he knows what to do within a choreographed system. And I think that's the future of the game. And that's how you manage young people and their stress levels. And players will go to a place where they feel comfortable, where they don't feel pressured, where they don't feel stressed. I think the Arsenal system under Wenger was all about loading the responsibility onto the technique of the player and telling the player, you're wonderful, you're great, go and do your thing. And not every player can sustain that level of pressure every single week in the modern world. Dave Bergkamp could do it, Terry Henry could do it, but they weren't being followed by multi-million of Twitter followers telling them about themselves every Saturday night. It's Welcome. a different world now. It's a different world. And, and the overcoaching is the way, is the way forward. And we have got an overcoach. And I think that's going to create a different dynamic to the club. It's going to make players who would not have gone to Arsenal because they derail at Arsenal. And if you don't agree with me, look at the prices that we're getting when we're looking to sell. Players come to Arsenal, if they haven't got the character and the individual quality, they derail. They go downwards because the emphasis is placed upon them. And I see this the whole thing that we've done this summer, when I look at it holistically, I see coaching, dressing room, dressing room leadership, everything that we've done, tenacity, mm-hmm. unity. And these are, how many times you heard me say the word fundamentals? Yeah, you're, probably, you're probably bored of it. Maybe now. once. But these, <laughs> but these are the fundamentals that, uh, these are the platforms that's being laid. And Emery's made a good attempt to lay the platform. And I am so hopeful that it manifests itself in the season. But also manifests itself in a critical moment. We were 1-0 down at home to City in our home game, our first home game of the season. What do we do? Where do we go? Who's going to take charge? And that's when we're going to find out if the policy is um, good or not. Yeah, certainly. And so should I put you down as fourth place in a Europa trophy then? That'll do me. I could have um, said that and, and saved you for eight minutes. No, 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 I, but the eight know. minutes was the good part. The question was the stupid part. Look, I, I will say this, and you, you've said something that really I, I think we will be talking about throughout the season. Liverpool, what kind of game do they play? Pressing. Spurs, what do they play? Pressing. City, what do they play? Pressing. And I think there's a reason the press has become so in vogue at big clubs because what it does is it's a shifting of pressure and burden. When you play the way Arson. Arsene wanted us to play. The pressure and the burden is on us. It's on us to do something extraordinary. It's on us to do something special. When you play a pressing game, you put the burden on the other team not to fuck up. And what you're trying to do is, is put them under pressure so that they crack, so they make a mistake, and you pounce on the mistake. And so the goals Liverpool scores, and the City maybe to a lesser extent, but certainly Spurs score, they score them off your mistakes. And when you press... You shift the burden to the other team not to screw up. Yeah. And I think, to your point, Clive, that that can alleviate some of the pressure that is on these players at these big clubs to have to do something brilliant in every moment. Yeah. Can I give you a quick example of the modern player? How quick? Right? <laughs> really quick. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I've got, to, I've got to get this. Get it off really, your chest, man. Come on. That's really what we're here for. Me, right? Deli Alley at Spurs. He's a, he's a second forward that's a pressing machine. So he's their trigger. 
he presses, he presses, he presses. I'm not sure he runs well. I'm not sure he's that good in the ball. He's very good in transition. He runs into areas in the box where he can score goals. Right? When we when England asked him to play slightly deeper and play as a number eight, he couldn't do it. Right? Within that system, within the modern system, he's found his role and he's got an eight million pound Adidas deal and a hundred thousand pound a week wages. I'm not sure he's a good footballer. But he's a modern footballer. He's a good athlete. It's really, <laughs> really slim, really quick, really tall, repeats sprints, presses the ball, creates trauma, provokes tackles, provokes penalties, got a personality, believes he belongs, and he's now deemed as one of the best under-22-year-old players in the world. And I look at the basics of football and how you look after the football, how you manipulate it, how you move it, how you pass it, how you frame it. I think myself, you can't play, son. But you know what? You're a multimillionaire. You're an England superstar. You can't play. But in a system where you've got a defined role, you're a superstar. And that's mod- That's the modern game. And that's what I'm talking about. De-stressing somebody, bringing out their attributes to the maximum and seeing where they can go. Yeah. And I, 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 I'll argue with anyone on this. No, so I, look, it, it's right? funny. So, As you're saying it, Clive, it makes me realize like some of the things you're describing maybe explain why Klopp wanted to go for someone like Oxlid chamberlain who had absolutely. similar attributes and, and, and in a similar system. Sprinting so, speed. Yep. And Arsenal fans criticized him because, because two of his four crosses went behind the bar. I think he'd wake up. Wake up at what we've got here. He's a powerful athlete that can burst through lines. He can shoot like a rocket. He can sprint to a tackle. And he can, because we developed him as a wing back, he can now tackle running back towards his own goal. Why wouldn't you pay 40 million quid for him? And if he was in the World Cup, Deli Ali wouldn't have had so many minutes. And who knows what would have happened? Because he's a better player than him as an all rounder. He looked after the football, right? So this is what I'm talking about. You have to wake up to what you're watching. You can't just people on just one aspect of their game, look at how the game is changing and adapt your thinking to what's happening in front of you. Well, we're adapting. Yeah, yeah, we all are. I'm adapting. I'm adapting. Fuck me, Clive. Fuck me. Sorry, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I'll shut up. (laughs) No, no, no. Look, this is gold. Fuck me. I think, well, I mean, Paul, that's better than the people usually say, which is the listener. Um, I I think my, my, my quick answer for this in terms of sort of minimum successful season is is complex only in that given the age of the the key players we have Ozil, Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang uh, I don't think we can be as blasé about a little bit of progress and some sign of coherence because these aren't 23, 24 year old players who three seasons from now are winning a title we've built the squad to get us back in the CL now and so I think it kind of has to get us back in the CL now so I would say minimum successful season is either win the Europa League or get back into the top four because that's the squad we've we've been given. So that's what it's built for. So that's what it has to do. And oh, by the way, when you have a three hundred thousand pound a week playmaker and a you know a quarter of a million pound a week striker and another maybe soon to be quarter of a million pound number eight in Aaron Ramsey, you can't exactly say you know boo hoo. Let's just play for some improvement. So we'll see how it goes. I want to get to you know maybe the headline of of the whole podcast before we take a break, and that's predicting the finish domestically. So uh, put it out on Twitter. Where will Arsenal finish this season? Uh, first, 11%. Second, 3%. Third or fourth, 56%. Outside the top four, 30%. 
So 86% said third, fourth, or outside the top four, but more than half of you said we will finish in the Champions League places. So, Paul, here's what I want you to do. Give me your top six and maybe just a little um, explanation for each one. Uh, City, uh, they've actually got stronger, God help us. Liverpool have got significantly stronger. Fucking depressing. So uh, United are shit. So, uh, and are due a, a meltdown, not in terms of, of their personnel. So I think they're going to fall out of the top six. So I think the first two is City, Liverpool, uh, number three. I'm going with uh, Sarri's Chelsea. I think that's very interesting. And I think it's down to us and Tottenham for number four. Okay, and which do you, um, how do you see it falling? As an Arsenal supporter, Arsenal, I think if I were... If I knew what I knew about Arsenal but weren't a supporter, you just have to be go go safe and say uh, Spurs Spurs for number four. But I, I think we'll push them down close and have a great chance of getting the number four spot. Interesting. Um, I mean, I, I would take it. And so then you see what, Spurs then United? Spurs United, yeah. Can you imagine United finishing sixth with that squad? Jesus, the money they've spent. Thank God for Woodward and Jose, huh? Um, yeah, and and maybe they won't finish sixth. They're just the most likely to fall out of the top four because of fucking Jose's well on his way to a meltdown. So well, I don't know what they're really six. I just think they're the most likely not to make it. They had sixth place underlying metrics last season, I believe, except for the squid that is David De Gea saving their ass. So, I mean, it, it's yeah. totally possible. Um, you know, World Cup and, season's and a weird, too. he might be due a fall off. You can't, you just can't be fucking brilliant all the time. What well, happens if he falls off a bit? Maybe, He's still you know, really good. He played poorly in the World Cup. Maybe he gets he loses a little of that invincibility aura around him that he had. So we'll see. Clive, give me your top six. Uh, top six. Um, <clears throat> I think Liverpool are going to win it. Wow. Um, I think uh, the reason why I say that is much like the Barcelona, Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, everyone watched them. Everybody studied them. Everybody wanted to be like them until eventually they, they went off their curve. I think City, everyone's watched them. Everyone's tried to sit in against them. And I think we're going to see many teams try to attack them slightly differently. And I think Liverpool potentially will go under the radar and um, come to the top. Either one. I, I think City will, is going to come second. And um, fair enough, I quite like Chelsea. I don't think they've done enough Um enough good things but that could change in January they've rushed into the season but the midfield they've ended up with looks spectacular Kovacic, Jorginho and uh, Conte looks pretty spectacular doesn't it? it? It looks like the balance we're trying to get right so um, it's it's wonderful and um, but that's on paper right and let's see what happens when you've got to play you know, 58 games in England right so let's see what happens there their front three isn't great but they've got some special talents there that may not be totally on board. So I think it might be a bit quick for Chelsea. And I honestly do feel that Arsenal have got a chance in the top four. And the reason why I think the Spurs, the Spurs is in trouble. And the reason why they're in trouble, they've always done well on, re on selling, on resales. And people are not having Daniel Levy anymore. You're no longer, you're no longer an underdog. 
You can't rob people £50 million for fullbacks anymore. We're going to wait you out and we're going to take your players at the price that we want to pay. At a time, Daniel Levy, when you need the money. You've overshot yourself on the ground. The ground is not ready. You spent too much money. You're now going to dig into your fans to actually like we did, but at a time when no one else is raising prices, you're going to dig into your fans for to, to try to get revenue in. Unless you can sell high, you're not going to make it with this model. You're going to need investment from Joe Lewis. And I think Spurs' model is really under threat. You've got the players for the first year in the stadium because they want to see themselves in a new stadium. The second year is going to be a challenge. And more and more of their players are not signing contracts because they recognise now they were stupid to sign contracts initially for five, ten grand, but pin them down for four years so they can be controlled. Danny Rose is a great example. Should have gone to Man United. The price is too high. Potentially could end up at Schalke. And I think that is a career bad move for him and he has got no choice. Right? So I think the Spurs model is really under threat. So I really do think we're going to be in that top four. And the reason why we're going to be there is because of what we spoke about earlier, our resilience, our tenacity, and hopefully our ability to hold on to results that we should get against the teams outside of the top six away from home. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, here's what I will say. I, so I think City will win the league, and, and I think Liverpool have a chance to be a lot better. But City have the depth of squad to handle the Champions League with arguably their second string, and Liverpool don't have that. And so I still think Champions League football for a pressing team that has to play their first team twice a week is tough. And it's a huge advantage for us because we can play – you know, kids in the Europa League group stage, they don't have to. So I say City and Liverpool. Chelsea, it's interesting because, damn, do they have a good midfield. Do we trust Morata and Giroud to get them the goals? Hazard could still go. The window is still open for selling. So what yep. happens with Hazard is really going to make a big difference because between Giroud and Morata, I mean, you already know what I think of Giroud. Uh, I don't think they have the goals they need to, to get through a season staying in the top four. But for the time being, I'm going to put Arsenal third. I think, ultimately, our ability to play second-team players in the Europa League and the goals we have in this side and hopefully what I expect to be a big season from Ozil, a big season from Aubameyang, will be enough to carry us past those other teams. Um, so I'll have Chelsea fourth. Manchester United are a weird one that they didn't address their fullbacks is bizarre. The window they had is crazy. They could still lose Pogba this window. Uh, wouldn't rule it out. You know, Lukaku had a long World Cup. Will that impact, you know, a big, uh, big-framed player like him with a lot of miles on the tires for, for this season? We'll see. Is the Manchester United board willing, actually willing to back Mourinho in any expensive purchases from here on in, or are they kind of cutting them off as the other Yeah, well, he can't thing, make but... any more until January at the, at the earliest, so we'll, we'll find yeah. out. And then... And then I think Spurs, yeah, I agree with you, Clive. There are a few things. I mean, Spurs fade late in seasons. Pochettino's system is not forgiving, and they have a small squad. they got to play in the Champions League. Kane obviously did not have a long rest this summer. A lot of the Spurs players you know, had to be at the World Cup for a long time. If Kane takes a step back, they can't sustain where they've been. And so I think maybe a fall is coming for them. And, and there might just be a little bit of bad blood in the squad in terms of some of those players want bigger contracts. Some of those players want moves. And, and that could come to the surface if they're not up near the top 
uh, you know, as they get deeper in the season. So we'll see. So I would say... And there might also be a little bit of a morale hit with Spurs. I mean, they didn't do anything in the window. And yeah, you that's can a great point. That, you can beat that up. You can beat that up all you like, but... You know, in three or four months' time when they're getting a bit tired and they start looking at each other, that's going to come up among them. Yeah, Clive, you had something on that? I'll I'll give you a little story, right? It's just a little story. My son was at an academy and he played against Crystal Palace in an academy game and there were England coaches watching and he had a fantastic game. Went back to training on the next day, on the Monday, and they brought in a trial right back and my son was a right back. And what it said to him was, you think you're good, but we're bringing someone else in to keep you on your toes. Those Spurs players right now have got no one coming in to push them. Right? They, they've been told they're great. They've been told they've been caressing. They've been told they're superstars. They've been given, some of them have given you contracts and new boot deals. But you know what? No one's coming to push them for their place. And I think we're going to see a drop off. I really do. We just see a drop off. I think their style of play has a level of repeatability. It's quite functional. It's similar to England's. But in the end, there are certain key people they depend upon. And if they're not there to overproduce, I think they're going to be yep. under pressure. And I, yep. I see them falling away. I generally do. Okay. And the narrative in their heads must be the club didn't spend the money because top four is good enough. And so that becomes, I mean, it's not like we haven't been here ourselves. That becomes the narrative within the team, the suspicion, the fallback position. So I think there's a there's a good chance Spurs start to just fucking plateau at this stage. All right, I'm, I'm getting an erection, so let's stop there. Okay, yeah. um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Scott will put all the numbers into his calculator, crunch them, spit them out, print them out on his... Uh, whatever printer he has and then he'll read them off to us and tell us what's actually going to happen so we'll do that with Scott and then we'll come back and we'll finish up with some player predictions for the season um, some things to expect from Emery and what to expect from our best and worst players don't worry we've got that in there as well so uh, don't forget uh, we are giving away an Arsenal shirt we are giving away a home away or third kit whichever you want whatever player you want we'll ship it to you for free one winner. All you have to do is go to the website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com, look up the shirt giveaway, and there'll be a simple question to answer from this podcast, and uh, you can enter, and we will announce the winner on the post-Chelsea podcast. Uh, also, go sign up for our Patreon because you love us and we love you, and we're going to use uh, those resources to bring more live content, to do more halftime shows, all kinds of fun stuff, and even have special contributors as well. So uh, once again, we love you for listening. If you can't do the Patreon, no problem. If you can, patreon.com forward slash Arsenal Vision Podcast. Uh, take a break. Come back with Scott. Okay, we're back with Scott. You can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Hello. Oh, it's great to have you on. I'm so excited. We're going to get your season predictions. We're even going to get a little bit of a Manchester City preview from you. Very light preview, but just to sort of get a sense of of what your model is telling us. So we'll do all that. Before we get started, I want to let you know that Scott has a Patreon page that you can support, and I hope you will. And Scott, you hit your monthly goal for that. So congratulations. 
Yes, I'm very excited. Thank you for everybody that does it. So now I'm going to be adding another league that I'll be tracking, you know, every week. So I'm excited Great. for that. We got to finish deciding which league it is. I have a, a poll open. Looks like it might be the the Dutch league, but could be the championship. Who knows? If you want to get late votes in for MLS, now's your time to do it. I doubt people will be rushing to the interwebs to do it, but you can if you want. And uh, obviously, we have our Patreon that launched, Scott. We've announced it officially now. Actually, a few people got in early ahead of time on that, which is pretty awesome. But uh, hopefully, we'll get some of your great work on there as well. Yeah, I look forward to to doing that. Great. Okay, so let's get into the meat of this. Uh, Let's do some season preview stuff. So first of all, the big one. Let's start with the big one. Uh, Where do you predict Arsenal will finish this season? And if you don't mind sharing, where does your model predict Arsenal will finish this season? So I'm I'm kind of optimistic. It's still the the early part of the season, so I'm hopeful. You know, things haven't dashed my optimism quite yet. So I'm I'm going out on a limb and saying Arsenal finished third ahead of Spurs in fourth. I love that's, it. That's I mean, you're gonna yeah, get you're so gonna get fan support optimism, for that. So, is, yeah. is that just you trying to get people to sign up for the Patreon? Is that really all that is? No, <laughs> you I mean, believe that. So the, the model actually shows that they're, you know, their most likely finishing position is fifth place. Um, you know, so that's you know twenty one point six percent of the time. Uh, fourth place is twenty one point five. So, really, that fourth fifth um, is going to be the kind of the way it goes, and it really will probably depend that that whole third through sixth. Everybody's pretty bunched up, and it's really going to probably depend on you know finishing and you know how you know luck. I guess. Well, always the referees, all of that good stuff. Let me let me ask you this: When you cite your model and say that it sees us finishing fifth, is that just a projection based on last season's xG differential, or is there anything that's sort of plugged into that from summer business or changes in squads or anything like that? So yeah, so I I can kind of give a a quick overview of how it works. So it actually uses three seasons worth of of data. um, You know, obviously more weighted towards the the recent years, um, just to to try to balance out some you know, variance between the, the seasons. Um, this year, I also added in um, a, a variable looking at, you know, squad value. So that pulls my, um, pulls the values from transfer market just to get an idea of, you know, this is how much the squad's worth. I did that to try to um, incorporate in transfer um, moves that might not have been um, in effect in the previous years. Um, I also have um, a squad uh, rating for each team that goes in there and makes adjustment. And then the last adjustment I made this year um, was I actually went through and looked at um, when things are going to be coming off a, a Champions League week or a Europa League week um, to be able to to kind of give um, a, a little bit of a, a squad rotation factor for those matches. So I, I've done some adjustments this year. I was actually quite happy with the way it worked out last year. It seemed to, to really predict pretty well um, and give a, a pretty solid rating. So I, I think that it's a, a pretty good model, and I think there's value in it. Did your model have a six last season? Um, it had us as the sixth best team. And we finished where? At sixth place. That's right, we did. And it's got us as fifth this season? It's got us, yeah. So right now, um, the, there's a, a huge um, bunching up. So uh, it's got Manchester City um, at, you know, rating is 160. So that's 60% better than the league average team. So they are far and away the, the best team. Um, second is actually Tottenham. Um, they're at 145. Uh, Really? Tottenham? See, I want to stop you for a second. I think this is so interesting. It goes to show you how narrative can play such an important role in the way we evaluate a team because the narrative is Tottenham haven't done any business. But the business they haven't done doesn't take away the fact that they 
sadly, have a pretty good squad that they've kept intact. So do you think that's really the disconnect is that by not being active in the window, people have started to undervalue the quality of the squad they have? Uh, yeah, I, I think that is a big thing because I know you, you looked at Everton last year. They made all these big splashy signings, but you know, big splashy signings don't necessarily make a team work well together. And I think that you know, there is a there's a lot to be said for um, continuity um, with a with a team. Um, you know, it probably would have been a, a good thing for them to get some more depth because you know they they have some holes on there. But I think their starting eleven is very good. And the big thing is they didn't really lose anybody from their squad as well. So, yeah, I mean, I still think that they're a, a very good team. Um, you know, I think Liverpool, um, the model is probably underrates what I think that Liverpool's at because I have them at 130. But, I, you know, they're, they weren't great um, at times last year. Um, you know, I think it could have been they were focusing on the, the Champions League more than anything. So maybe that kind of feeds into it. Um, then we have... Uh, Manchester United at 126, Chelsea at 125, and Arsenal at 124. So that really, those three teams are all basically the same. Uh, it's it's really hard to to separate them. Um, you know, in Manchester United, I, I I have concerns about them. They didn't really do any strengthening um, to some some key holes. I'm worried about their fullbacks. It looks like they're going to start Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia. I'm excited about choice. their fullbacks. I'm not worried about it at all. Yeah, exactly. And I but, guess that's the wrong word. If I was a Manchester United fan, that would be a I'm very worried. Well, thank God for not, not even not. to yeah, not even to take any into account the third season Mourinho factor at all in the model. Hard hard to put a statistical analysis beside uh, behind that. But so wait, just from listening to it, it sounded like the model has a sixth, not fifth. Did I get that wrong? Uh, they are, yeah, we are still sixth, basically, oh, okay. basically even with you know Manchester United, Chelsea, and yeah. So what Arsenal. you're saying is the model sees the United, Chelsea, Arsenal finishing positions being a toss up somewhere between fourth, fifth, and sixth. Exactly, and one of the things, so Arsenal actually um, are one of the the higher variance teams um, this year, um, and a lot of that goes to strong attack, weak defense. So there's going to be a lot less draws um, in the model for Arsenal compared to um, you know Manchester United. So that's that's part of the thing. So that's why we average between fourth and fifth, but we have a lot wider variance. So there's more often that we finish way down. Well, not way down, but probably you know closer to sixth, seventh than Manchester United, which is you know pretty bunched up in their spot. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, we are recording this as the transfer was, window is doing what it does, which is slamming shut and uh, no business for Arsenal. So I think we can at least say that your model is looking at the squad as it's probably going to look for the season, or at least until January. And so hopefully with a little of that variance in our favor, we can make it up to fourth or even third. We'll see. Um, as far as the cups, do you want to just give me your quick sort of non-statistical, I don't know if you have a model for this, but your prediction for Europa League, FA Cup, and League Cup? Um, you know, I, it, it all depends on the draw. So it's one of those things that's almost impossible to... I mean, even the, the Europa League, the qualification isn't even done, so they're, you're not even sure of the, the teams that are going to be in the group stages. But, you know, I fully expect Arsenal to make it through the group stages. Um, and I think a, a semifinal run at a minimum is probably what you'd expect unless you get a, a crazy team dropping down from the Champions League to, to really take things over. They should be probably one of the, the favorites going into it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, in another year, at Atletico Madrid doesn't, uh, parachute down into the Europa League last season from the Champions League, and we wind up winning it. So, you know, could you wind up in a situation where a Manchester City winds up in the Europa League? Probably not, but you can, and then that totally changes your fortunes. Uh, FA Cup and League Cup, virtually impossible to predict, but just let's get you on record. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the League Cup, that's one that you don't really care too much about. So, you know, if you get a Premier League team, you know, try to beat them. Other than that, play the kids, uh, maybe get to the quarterfinals at least, hopefully. You know, if anything better happens, that's great. You know, a cup run's always fun. Like last year, it was, you know, disappointing to, to lose in the final, but it was fun to get there. Um, FA Cup, I, I really hope that, you know, the, you know, maybe a semifinal, you know, a day at Wembley, you know, try to get to a final. That's kind of my, my goal there, too. Your tone with respect to the League Cup suggests to me that it's not a priority for you, but uh, I will assume I'm misinterpreting that, that it is, it is indeed your everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's something that, you know, I've never seen my team win, so I, I want to go. Wait, no, we, we won it that year. We played Birmingham City in the final, didn't we? I think you're mistaken. I, think uh, I, I don't know. I, b- I blacked out the last 10, 10 minutes I'm of that. I'm pretty sure you yeah. purged that from your, your memory, so you're not quite it's possible. remembering correctly. It's possible. Okay, so uh, let's get into some end-of-season awards. Uh, pretend it's May. We've just finished the uh, open-top bus parade thing for winning the, the treble, and uh, now it's time to hand out the awards. So who do you think will finish as our top scorer? I, I can't really say that there's going to be anybody else except for Aubameyang unless he, you know, ruptures a knee ligament, knock on wood. I can't um, believe you just put that in the world, but cool. Thanks, bud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so yeah, Aubameyang. So, I mean, that's actually one of the things, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, if, you know, realistically, if he gets 3,000 minutes in the league, um, I, I would be surprised if he's not, you know, getting... 26 goals um you know a a hot finishing season could really see him you know push 30 and you know really be in contention for a golden boot i saw in the stats bomb uh preview for arsenal season preview which i strongly recommend reading that they uh they actually i think said he was the highest xg per 90 player in the league last season uh admittedly only playing half a season though yeah, and then the other thing that I know that is super good is you, know, you look at his shooting locations. He also had the, the highest XG per shot. Um, I think it was you know almost .24. So you know if he's getting you know three or four shots a game, that adds up to, to almost one XG a match, which is pretty crazy high. And you know if you think about that's that would be right on target for you know thirty goals with yeah. Yeah, and you need that. You really do need the teams that win the league tend to have a player like that. To to you, just to get off topic quickly, if he's averaging a 0.24 xg per shot i mean that means he's getting into really phenomenal shot locations is that for you the strongest argument for him needing to play center forward so he can continue to get into those prime shooting locations i mean i i was a, I was a little bit relieved um seeing the amount of um freedom and license he was given to cut in in the preseason even starting out wide left um, so I, I'm, I'm a little less concerned after watching that, but to me, he's still the, the number one striker. I mean, arguably he's one of the, the top five strikers in the world. So it's really something it's like you, you take one of the best players and you move him out of position. I, I guess I, I kind of get the argument that, you know, Lacazette, he loses more going out to the wing and, you know, you might maximize the team, you know, because maybe Aubameyang doesn't lose as much going out to the wing, but it's still, you have one of the best guys ever, or, you know, at least in the world right now, put him in his best spot. Okay. Um, so we, we named the be- the top scorer, but um, do you have a different prediction for best player, or would it be the same? I, I think this year, I think Ozil's going to have a lot to prove, and I think he's going to go out there and try to shut up some some critics. And I think that he could really, you know, really benefit from having um, the attackers in front of him, you know, with uh, Aubameyang, Lacazette, 
Mikatari and Ramsey all around him, really giving him support. And then it also with a, a good platform to build on where he doesn't have to drop quite as deep with Terrera and Jacka, hopefully freed to, to make, you know, him stay further up the pitch and not have to carry the ball into the final third too much. I, I think that he could really be the guy this year and really come through and you know, look great. You know, the, the interesting thing about you saying that is if you think of the ramifications it has for the team, it's very meaningful. Because if you think Aubameyang could finish with 30 goals, but you think Ozil could be our best player, then in order for that to happen, he's got to also be scoring a bunch himself and laying on goals for people more than just Aubameyang, right? Because normally, guy scores 30 goals, you say he's your best player. So to have two players of that level, I think would certainly mean that we're in for a very special season. But We've gotten awfully positive in this last little section, so why don't you give me your biggest disappointment for the season, the player you think will wind up either not living up to expectations or dramatically underperforming expectations? Uh, I, I got a couple of them here where I'm, oh, I'm, a, fantastic. I'm down here. So I'm I'm really worried about uh, Socrates, um, and I just I'm not sold on him. You know, I, I watched you know a decent amount of, of Bundesliga. Um, shout out to Fox for actually showing matches, which is nice. Um, not usually often you'll say that. Um, and I was never really impressed with him um, at Dortmund. Um, Louis Ambrose, who writes for for Ars Blog, um, you know, lives in Germany, watches a lot of Bundesliga, and he was, you know, really not sold on him. And he's just at that age where he's a front foot kind of player, and I think that he's coming into a new league where he's going to have to adjust to the. It's just to me, I think that's going to be a nightmare. He's not going to have a a great guy next to him, you know, is it going to be Mustafi? Is it going to be one of the younger guys holding Marva Panos? Like, uh, that, to me, that just has all sorts of red flags all around it. Um, and then the second one that I'm, you know, going to say, you know, kind of single out as a, a disappointment, I think Monreal um, might be getting to the end of his useful career at Arsenal. And, you know, it, it pains me to say that because I love Nacho, but, you could see in the last couple of years that the the best managers have singled him out as a guy to attack. Um, and I just don't know if he has the, the legs to play the modern fullback position anymore, because that's probably the most athletically demanding position on the pitch. And I think it, it just might be too much for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all fair. I, I think, unfortunately, you know, and obviously th- this is a question that if you ask a million Arsenal fans... You'd probably get, all get answers related to the back four. So, you know, I think everybody knows where our Achilles heel is going to be. It's going to be in defense. And if any of these players can overperform expectations, that would obviously be hugely important. But I think what the takeaway is, is that system is going to be very important. And how we defend as a team is going to have to be important to cover what we see as deficiencies in the players. How about we finish the season preview part of this section? Uh, on an upbeat note, who's the breakout player? Who is the player you think will come away being a fan favorite and maybe surprise people with his performances? I, I mean, I'm I'm hopeful that it's going to be Torreira um, to do that. Um, I imagine you know he'll probably get the the Arsenal Player of the Month for the first season because you know it always goes to a new player. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I I'm, I'm hopeful that it's going to be Ozil that's going to be the guy that everybody comes to realize how important he is to the team and how he's going to, you know, really make the attack click. Um, so I think, I think Torreira is going to become a, a fan favorite because he's going to do the things that everybody loves, you know, get stuck in, you know, run around a lot, actually look to, to defend instead of, 
you know, kind of like how Coughlin, you know, became a huge favorite for people. But I really hope that it's Ozil is the guy that is seen as the the real star of the Mm -hmm. team and the one that makes everything click. You know, it it shows you just how fickle football fans and Arsenal fans can be when you can say Mesut Ozil would be the breakout player for Arsenal. And that's a totally reasonable thing to say. You know what I mean? It's just bizarre that someone of that caliber, of that stature, of that quality can be in line for that kind of season accolade. Uh, but yeah, he, he is someone who amazingly still has a polarizing impact on the fan base. So hopefully this is the season the fans all get behind him. He gets behind Arsenal or in front of Arsenal or wherever we want him in Arsenal and, and gets the job done. So all in all, they're, they're your season predictions. Uh, hopefully Scott's model is not as correct as Scott's heart and, and, uh, general hope for things. We'll see how it goes. But I want to just squeeze in a quick Manchester City preview. This entire episode is largely focused on the season as a whole, but we do play Manchester City on Sunday. So just really quickly, what does your model see as the uh, most likely set of outcomes for the City game? Um, so City are obviously overwhelming favorites to, to win. You know, the model shows them winning about, you know, 57% of the time. Um but, you know, the, the positives, I guess, to look at this is, you know, Arsenal um, are expected to get about 0.9 points out of this match. And I think that if you ask everybody if they would take a point in this match, almost everybody would say yes. So there's there's a good chance for a point. Um, I, I would say the most likely outcome is maybe two to one in favor of City. Um, I, I think that, you know, maybe some good luck, a, a couple of good saves and Arsenal can maybe get a one one or a two two draw in there and be looking forward to going to beat Chelsea next the week after. Well, that is optimism, if ever I've heard it. I think we can leave it there. I think that is plenty of preview for a game that we don't really know what to expect. It is a really strange feeling to be going into a season knowing this little about the team in some ways. We know the players. We don't know the system. We don't know who will start. We don't know how we'll play. But uh, we are now just a couple of days away from finding out. So Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. He does great work at crabstats.blogspot.com. He writes for the short fuse. He is a busy man. He also has a Patreon, which you should support, of course, only after you have supported ours. No, support them both. You know, there's room in this world for great content and not shitty content that is clickbait and horrible. And there's plenty of that. We don't need any more of it. So Scott. Uh, yeah, speaking I, of that, I think I think you got a, a new new gig at The Athletic, what? you know, what? doing, yeah, doing new stuff that's not clickbait clickbaity with no ads and everything so congratulations on that it's really weird right because they uh they did ask me to write for them the athletic and uh i'll be starting that next week i'm going to probably do one piece a week gunner blog's doing it as well and their model is no ads it's it's only um subscription based and it's it's funny just to get off topic really quickly i think the internet got off on the wrong foot the entire thing of it by being an ad-based model because it just drives people towards this this clickbait, right? Like five things about Mesut Ozil's wag that you have to see, or, you know, what are seven things we learned from, you know, the way Aubameyang wears his socks? Like that's the kind of crap that ad supported content creates, right? But like, as you start to move more towards reader supported, listener supported, you know, consumer supported content, you can write and record and produce the kind of stuff people actually want to invest in. And so I do think that, the internet is starting to wake up to the fact that while the ad supported model probably isn't going away, it doesn't necessarily lead to the most satisfying content. And so I'm curious to see how the athletic develops their soccer content. I'm excited to to be a part of it, but I think overall, if there can be a movement towards stuff, that's just a little higher quality and less focused on securing advertising, that'd be great. Unfortunately, right now, a lot of us, this podcast included still depend on advertising as the primary source of revenue. But you know, I, I think 
you'd agree, Scott, that we do our best not to cater to that or pander to that. And if something like Patreon can take off, for example, it lets us eliminate the ad model, which I think long term is something we'd all lean towards, right? I agree. And yeah, I'm a huge supporter of The Athletic. I've been subscribing for over a year now and I love the content. And yeah, so I, I, I wholeheartedly endorse this move and you know would give you know my commitment as a, a subscriber to that it's a, a good investment. Cool. Yeah, look, I mean, no one's listening to this podcast for sort of my takes on the macroeconomics of the internet and like and content support models and things like that. But as people who try to put things out in the world that we hope people will like, uh, it's great to see, I think, a model developing that rewards people for their support with better content and rewards people that make better content with real support. And, and yeah, and I think it really aligns the incentives for, you know, you want somebody to write things that people actually want and not just that'll get clicks on social media. Cause you know, the, the worst thing is, you know, where you have a headline that asks the question or, you know, really just, you know, see who is this player Arsenal are interested in click yeah. to find out. It's like, no, you could, yeah, you don't need that. No, well said, Scott. Well, we appreciate you. We look forward to talking to you throughout the season. Uh, again, Scott's on Twitter, O underscore that underscore crab. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. And after the break, we'll be back with the top five Arsenal players who look good in their pants on the beach. Okay, we're back, and now it is time to get into the player section of our season preview. Uh, we've figured out where the team is going to finish this year. Uh, we've determined that definitively, decisively, so thank goodness that is off the plate. What we need to do now is get into the player section, and I have a question here that I think is actually a tricky one to answer, and I, I don't know that I want five answers, Paul. I think I want one answer. And and that, that's not a joke. You'll see why why I said it that way. Good luck Look, with that. Elliot, I got to just say, I'm still recovering from me and Clive trying to get your erection under control over the break. It really only takes a few seconds, I think you'll find. Um, yeah. Who will be our captain? And now you see why I said I don't think I need five answers, because Emery has said there'll be five captains. Uh, y- you can just name one. Who do you think will be captain of the Arsenal? Wow. Um... Uh, this is well, this is good ch- podcasting, <laughs> hemming and hawing. Come on, man! It can't Off be the cuff. anybody. <laughs> it can't be anybody in our defense. This could be our first season where our captain plays. I mean, it's, this it is a big moment for it can't us. Can't be anybody in the attack apart from Ozil, and it can't be anybody in midfield apart from Ramsey. So I think it's Ozil versus Ramsey, uh, and Ozil's going to play. Uh, uh, Ozo's got the contract and going to play Ramsey, blah, blah, blah. I guess it comes down to the Ramsey contract. I'm going with Ozil. Ozil for captain. It wouldn't be, I think there's some segment of the fan base that would bristle at that, just sure. thinking that he may be from a, a, yep. a, a, look, it's a body language thing, but just the way he approaches the game, you know, he's very much sort of in his own world, in his own ethereal plane, operating in that giant brain of his, uh, maybe not, captain material from sort of a blood and thunder sense but you know as arson used to say a leader on the pitch uh, yeah. clive who, who do you have as arsenal yeah sorry Paul, let me talk? just add if you're going to back ozil fucking back ozil we've we've bet on a horse fucking back him That's yeah i mean you gave him that money it's crazy not to get behind him all the way at this point clive are you behind that or do you have a different captain 
I am behind that. I think um, he is being paid almost double the money we've ever paid anybody. He has got to be the leader of this club. Right? He has to be. And he has to know you can't just get paid because you've negotiated a good contract. You have to have a level of accountability and leadership. And I think it's wonderful that the club are trying to extract that from him. He's got more to give and we have to extract it. I absolutely think he is the totem pole, the biggest star, the biggest following. He needs to be the captain. Uh, my second choice would be um, Granite Shaka. I think from a captain perspective, if I was to pick somebody, I like I like him the most. And my third choice would be Ramsey. And um, based on the fact that he's been there 10 years, he's got the longevity. And if there was a club captain and a team captain, you know, we we had we sort of had that thing where it was the club captain didn't play. Well, Ramsey will play a lot of games, depending injury dependent. Ramsey should be should be that club captain. He has ten years in the club. He knows the club. But from a team perspective, I would love to see Ozil really take responsibility, absorb it, like it, and start to act like that leader. I yeah, think it's really important. It's tough, right? Because you're always trying to read minds, and with Ozil, you say. You know, will giving him more of that responsibility and making him more of a central figure at the club tease out more from him? Or does he need to sort of be left to just focus on his football and not have the distraction of of any other responsibilities or roles? Uh, Ultimately, who knows? I mean, there's no way of knowing how he would react to that responsibility. He may genuinely not care. I I think personally that it will be Ramsey. I have a weird suspicion that he'll sign it. Why do you say that? That it'll be Ramsey. Why do you say that? Yeah, why do you say that? Um, I, I, I think I, it's I, a couple of reasons. I think the length of his tenure, I think, is part of it. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that. I think the fact that he's just so handsome. So photographing him in the armband is something that people are going to really enjoy. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, he, he is a guy with a big engine who runs around, who, you know, seems to be willing to show some emotion on the pitch, although very quiet off the pitch, it should be said. You know, we don't know what goes on in the dressing room, how well-liked or not well-liked some of these players are. But I think his length of service, you know, the the Britishness, I know that might be a weird factor. Yep. but and, and also maybe, I, and I hate to say this, it might have been a bit of an inducement to sign a deal, which is a terrible yeah, exactly. thing to dangle, but I think it might be in there. So just quickly before Paul comes in, I, I agree with everything you said there. However, he hasn't signed. And I think... He needs to show a commitment to what we're trying to do. He needs to show a commitment to the new regime. I'm really adamant about this. There's a lot of freshness and newness, new coaches, new management. So by not signing, you're saying to them, I'm not sure about you. I'm not sure about what you're doing. I'm not sure about your new coaches, new intensity, new training, new, new tactics, new structure. I'm not sure about you. I'm looking after me. So why would you make that person the captain? Now, everyone's in touch to look after themselves, but there have been a new contract signed by a number of players this summer, by Shaka, by, um, by Iwobi, by some of the youngsters. It was just done. And there's one hanging on. And I'm asking myself, what's so special about you? Right? What is special about you? you? You don't play every week. You're a good player. But what's special about you? Everyone else is signed. So you're looking out for yourself. And so you're now questioning the model and you are now bringing to me a little bit of the old ways into the new ways. And so why would I make you captain? So commit, 
commit at the right moment, right now, really quickly, and then you become one of our leaders of our club. And by the way, I flip my, my feedback earlier and say, you will deserve it. Ten years, giving the best years of your life to our club, you deserve it. But, mate, don't hang it out too long because the fans will turn on you real quick. Yeah, that's for sure. Let me ask you a question. That moment's around the corner. It's around the corner. So when we're up 3-0 at halftime and they announce that he he signs his new contract on the pitch at halftime, can they give him the armband then? This this Sunday against City, I I like this five captains thing. I really do. I like the leadership group. I don't like this one captain thing. I think it's BS. I really do. I think it's rubbish. I think it elevates people and it makes them less accountable because they have this role. No, you you are a player in a club in a squad of twenty five, and you have to produce. You don't get guarantees, and I I think it's. I like the way he wants to put his five captains in place. Yeah. And that, and that counts for all of those five captains, by the way. And what he's done, he said to him, by the way, I, you are a leader, you are a senior leader, but you're not guaranteed. And I, and right. I like that. And, and I think, you know, to your point that you made much earlier in the podcast about, you know, reducing pressure from players, five captains means you don't have one guy who feels the weight of every poor performance on his shoulders directly. I mean, you don't want to make Ozil the captain and then make him feel like, Every poor performance is is his responsibility any more than he already may feel that way. Uh, Paul, final word on captaincy? Yeah, I mean, the easy way out is to say Koscielny's our captain. Well, he is, yes. Uh, I, I meant other yeah. than him, because that is a yeah, very yeah, good no, point. Yeah. No, no, but if I'm Emery and I'm thinking, uh, I like the idea of Ozil or I like the idea of Ramsey, but for the, for the various buts we've talked about, I'll, I'll say in respect of Koscielny, he's still captain, but my vice captain is... Ozil, uh, for example, and let him earn it over the year. And as the year progresses, maybe he has established himself uh, uh, in everybody's eyes as the guy to be a captain. But if he hasn't, then you have an easy out in the future without taking the captaincy. He kind of nominally has the captaincy, but he doesn't have the the whole enchilada. So you have a get out of clause. Similarly, if you put Ramsey as vice captain, they're basically captain, but you can yank it if uh, without embarrassment later on in the year. We sure do love a crocked center half as captain, though, don't we? Vermaelen, Murtisacker, Koscielny. It's really pretty incredible. Okay, we're going to do a rapid fire section. So what I really mean here is limit your answer to what you can say in one breath of air. Okay. (laughs) We're going to speed through this. Yeah. Take a deep breath, you know, put put on the scuba gear if that's what you need to do. Um, So we'll start with you, Clive. Top score. Oh, Aubameyang. Easy peasy. Prediction on goals? Uh, League goals. Um, League goals, 25. Cool. Paul, top score. Prediction on league goals. Aubameyang, 25. I will Sorry. say I will say Obama Yang thirty three goals. Um, Fuck yeah! Not if we're fannying about playing him at uh, left uh, yeah, on the good, left good wing. Good point. But em- anyway. Emery out. Um, best player, Paul. Uh, again, Obama Yang. But if I'm going to go for an outside pick, uh, a surprise pick, Terrera. Ooh, I love it. That, w- that would probably be a good thing if that happened. I mean, we fixed it a major problem in the squad. Clive, thing, best yeah. player. Hey, it's difficult, right? Because Aubameyang is going to be the best player. You better he's use, that air, par- use that air yeah. parsimoniously, my friend. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's the one, right? He is the one. And, um, 
so yeah, Aubameyang's going to be the no, he's going to be the best player with the best output. We are, we are. I'm going to go Ozil. Okay, I like that. Yeah, earn that captaincy. Look, I, I kind of want to say Ozil, but if I think Aubameyang's going to score 33 league goals, I can't really say anyone other than Aubameyang. I, I, I tell you what, I, I give a quote I heard from Steve Bold. He said many a time that they wanted to drop Ozil. He'd turn up to training and he would just run training. And we all knew he was the best player in the club. And everyone knows he's the best player in the club. And um, so he's the best player in the club. I can tell you who doesn't know he's the best player in the club is Uli Honus, so fuck that guy. Uh, (laughs) How about uh, biggest disappointment? Clive, the player that you think... Again, now I want to be clear about this. I'm not saying who will be our worst player, because that's obviously Mustafi. I'm saying who will be our biggest disappointment in terms of not meeting the expectations we have for them at this moment. I'm going to say a name that's going to surprise a few people, but I just need you to think it through. And, and I think it's going to be Monreal. Good I shout. think to, towards the end of last season, I thought he hit a wall. And it could be because he just was overplayed. And he just hit, but he hit a wall at a critical time in the Atletico games. And I watched him and I looked at him and I saw a player on the edge of his physicality. I think a lot of people were saying last year it was a choice between Monreal and Ramsey for Player of the Year. I don't think we're going to get the same player this year. It's a it's it's a guess because we haven't seen him yet. But I want to lay that one out there as a, as a surprise, maybe that we could see a, a leveling out and plateauing. And in the olden days, that player would have gone to Real Sociedad when the offer was there. I would have brought in someone younger, fitter more resilient, quicker, that could change our style. And we didn't do it. We kept him. Hmm. And that tells me something about the modern Arsenal. But hey, I think Monreal could be a surprise. Okay, so, uh, well, then I think I know what your answer to our next question is going to be. But we'll come back to that. Biggest disappointment, Paul? (laughs) So, uh, buckle up, guys. So, if I had to bet on somebody who is going to massively disappoint, is that is that basically the question? Yeah, that is someone who you think will not be our worst player, but underperform expectations uh, i don't i wouldn't say i say this with any level of confidence i would say this is where i put my money this, this is the risk uh Mesut ozil he could fucking stink this year you I'm think that everything that will. happened to germany and just the the weight of that and the weight of the contract <laughs> and it, and the, the pressing system and it just won't click for him yeah, you ever seen a, an airplane get shot down? I mean, no, I, I have think, not actually. Have you? <laughs> uh, well, uh, no. I mean, I've seen Top uh, yeah, Gun. <laughs> yes, a model plane that I built with my friend Nigel Wall uh, for several months, and we took it up for the first time. And I took the controls, and this fucking thing. Uh, no, no, I got it. Fucking thing nose dive and accelerated into the ground. Thud. After three months of building this plane, so I've crashed a plane. Fortunately, nobody was in. Okay, so anyway. you're picking Mesodozel. Okay, so because <laughs> if have he more crashes and burns, it'll yeah. be spectacular. Yes, fair enough. So. I I will say, and I want to be clear. I am saying Torreira. I think Torreira will be a phenomenal player for Arsenal for many years. 
I think the problem we have is that people think we've just fixed everything that's wrong with us defensively and structurally because we've added a 22-year-old who has never played in England, who doesn't speak the language, who has never played at a club this size. I think there's a lot of expectation that he's going to fix us. And sitting in front of Mustafi and Socrates, it's a big ask for a team that's going to be pressing a lot. That means if they bypass our press, he's going to have a lot of green grass to cover, and we've seen how that's gone in the past. Clive, you've spoken about that. So I think we will we will still love Torreira and have a good player for the future, but I think we will be disappointed by the fact that he will be unable to fix what is wrong with us defensively and structurally. He so, will be unable to walk on our midfield water. That's, ex- that's exactly right, Paul. That's what I'm saying, is that is that there is no magic bullet for what, what's wrong in that position. Now, maybe structure and tactics will fix that, but... He's also a young guy who's got a lot of learning to do, and we should be patient. I think by saying he'll be the biggest disappointment, I think it's simply because we may not have the patience required. So yeah. uh, here's something that I want to ask. You know, with Arsene Wenger, it was handbrake or mental toughness or the zip on his big coat. What will be the Emery pet peeve that has fans going nuts? The thing that, about him that gets discussed and lambasted and, and seized upon by the end of the season, what, what will be the little bit handbrake or mental strength or zip? Uh, Clive, what, what will be that thing? Oh, it's, a, it's a terrible thing to say. Um, <laughs> I think... Um, He's really trying hard with English, and no one's, no one within the club is um, is is saying anything. I wish but, he'd try less hard. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's trying really hard. And by the way, I don't speak more than one language, so I'm saying this from a low. C'est dommage, base, right? Clive. Dommage. But I think if, if you're looking from the outside in, I can imagine people taking the Mickey out of how he speaks and manages the language and and says words like explain. Right, so I think that that's going to be something that I think could end up being a part of his identity. Um, I also, I, I, which is a, a bit of a light-hearted answer, but it's a seriousness about it because people do look for for frailties in people when when Mm-hmm. He was the first farm major, and he had a certain look about him. And there was uh, there were stories about him and what he done with children, etc. That appeared. People look for things, and it's really quite bad when people are different to you and they look for things of weakness. And I think it's um, it's indicative of modern society. So I almost say that without wanting to say. Um, I, I also think he's got some time to um, adjust to England and the squad. And um, it's very important we allow him that time um, to really know his players as well as we do. We know these players. We may know them better than him, you know, up to a certain point. But he needs to find this out. I'm, I hope he gets the time to do that. And um, that's the responsibility of all of us. But, yeah, I think it's going to be how he speaks. It's going to define him, which is a sad thing. But, mate, that's all I know, mate. So that's my answer. Do you have a less Brexity answer, Paul? <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm just kidding, come on, I'm kidding, it's just for fun everybody, um, this is just a podcast well, I think my main answer uh, is pretty close to Clive's, which is I think people will find his conference, his press conferences a bit dull generally Because he's quite a process technical guy, and we've had a ca- very charismatic, you know, love him or hate him, and most of us loved him uh, We had a very ca- charismatic uh, manager, um, I, I think... 
the the frustration that go, may go a little bit along with that is he may not play. We may not be used to the idea yet that we're not going to play as free and creative as we did. And if we struggle for a while, we might just get a little frustrated at how mechanical we're being uh, before we're successful. So I think that's the other. It might go hand in hand with press conferences that are not too exciting and the manager who's learning to express himself in an interesting way or or a way at all. So I think there could be just a, a kind of a frustration, a kind of a, a, a shuffling of feet in the first six to seven months as we're trying to get something going here and we're uncertain. Just general frustration with the manager every time he talks to us about why we're struggling a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, if I had to... Ah, uh, sure, why not? <laughs> oh, sorry, mate. No, 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 you're I, fine. Go uh, ahead. I just like, uh, you know, we're geeks, right? We're we're football geeks. Is that a fair comment? I've always and thought of myself of people, as more of a jock, but okay, go for it. <laughs> but most of the people that listen to us talk about, you know, every single game and try to analyze it and give some insight. Oh, they're geeks as well. So we're going to like him. We're going to like the fact that tactically he's telling us what he's doing. I've, I've yearned for that. I've yearned for that. I did this for the first arm. I did this for the second arm. We felt more comfortable in this shape. I'm thinking, man, I'm loving this. I'm loving it. Right. So, But that's me. And there are lots of fans out there saying, I don't give a monkey's mate. Why aren't you playing two strikers? Do you see what I mean? And I think how he manages that between people that are geeks that want to understand the overcoaching personality of our manager and, and get to know him and understand what he's trying to do versus people that just, which is the majority, I'm afraid, that say, I don't give a monkeys, you need to win. You need to win now. I don't like your centre-half, I don't like your right-winger, et cetera, et cetera. And I think how he manages that, balancing that is going to be important and the results going to give him the, the protective state to do that. And yeah. So it's going to be interesting. It's also, it's also going to keep us in business. Let's not forget that. <laughs> Give us plenty to talk about. I have to tell you, I mean, as as people who sit and have this conversation, not just for this podcast, but with our friends and on Twitter and you know on WhatsApp chat groups, it's just going to be so exciting to discuss new things. And I think you know that will keep yeah. people going. But if I had to guess what the pet peeve will be, it'll all be fun and new and exciting for a few months. It wouldn't surprise me if come December and January, the thing that was the pet peeve is never knowing what the formation or the lineup is going to be. I think if he if he's a tinkerer, we're not used to that. We're used to this is the 11, and that's what's put out, and these are the favorite guys, and they always play in their favorite position. And if Emery doesn't go that way, I think the pet peeve could be, you know, Tinkerman stuff, you know, that that kind of reputation. So we'll see if that's the case. And again, I'm, I'm totally guessing. The last question I want to ask, very simply, uh, breakout player candidate. So, Paul, if you had to pick someone who will go from, not necessarily relatively unknown, but maybe not a key contributor to someone who, at the end of the season, people are really impressed by the season he's had, who would it be? Uh, well, if Torreira's too obvious, and um, we've kind of baked in some expectations for him, it, it, you know, I'm already seeing other journalists, well, journalists saying... Torreira is a big signing for Arsenal, etc. So that seems kind of, if he has a big season, maybe that doesn't move the needle for everybody. It's kind of baked into the price. Um, I'm going with overhyping Gwen. 
I still yes. think. Yeah. Put, inject but, it straight into my veins, Paul. Give me all the Ganduzi hype you can give me. Well, if he pans out, I mean, he's kind of got everything. He's not as defensive as Torreira, but he's got everything else. He's got mobility. He's got the quick feet. Um, if you put Torreira, if Torreira pans out and Ganduzi, uh, we can do all sorts of fucking things in our midfield and match, mix and match those guys with whoever happens to be fit and firing. If it's Chaka, if it's Ramsey, we don't give a fuck. Those two misfits are suddenly fits because Guendouzi, uh, sorry, Ganduzi and Torreira can do the biz. So that's a good uh, shot. Yep. I, I think it's a one-two punch. If if we get those two guys firing, we're fucking. And look at the age profile now of Arsenal. If that becomes our midfield backbone. And by so. the way, I, I realized I screwed something up. So shit, I have to say it because I got to get it off my chest because I had meant to say this as my uh, thing about Emery that will drive people crazy. I think. You know, he really, really wants to play out from the back. And I think the first time we concede a goal from a dumb giveaway trying to play out over elaborately from the back while the Emirates is just screaming to kick it long, you know, get it out of there, kick it long, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's exactly what those fucking bastards deserve. (laughs) No shit. Uh, But yeah, I I think that could be something that drives people nuts is watching, you know, Socrates try to give it to Maitland Niles, giving it back to Socrates, back to Leno, and then someone miskicks it. Crucifixion's too good for those bastards. Yeah. uh, Okay. So, Clive, Finishing off, who's your breakout player? I think I could guess, but who do you have? Oh, I change my mind all the time. Right? So, can you guess Maitland Niles? I said that was who I was going to guess. Yeah, especially if you think ah, Nacho, if you think Nacho is going to be a disappointment because that means Maitland Niles is going to play a lot at left back. Is he? Uh, it's really interesting watching the uh, Gwendozi hype, which is really good, and I like him, and he's going to be a lovely player. But let me tell you something, right? There are levels to this. Right, there are levels, and I'm telling you now, Maitland Niles is quicker, he's stronger, he's better in jewels, he's got the dribble, he can run away from people, and his best game was versus the player that's just won the World Cup for France against Pogba. Right, and I'm telling you, this kid, if he's allowed to develop, is going to explode to a level which is. Alongside Grandozzi, you know, players like that, he's going to be significant. I, I have a concern about his personality. Does he, he have the intensity, it. Clive? That's, oh, that's he has the intensity. Trust me, mate. Sure. He, he, he can't lose any races. He can't lose any intensity. He just needs to be told to be intense. You know some players, Paul, that, that we want to be intense, like El Nelly, for example, but physically he can't do it? Yeah. Right, he hasn't got the power, the glutes. Physic- he hasn't got physically. The, he hasn't, don't get me wrong. Maitland Niles can do everything. He can do everything. So El Nenny is metronomic. Seth Fabregas metronomic. When they were forced to sprint, it's just not there. Right, it's just not there. Maitland Niles can do everything, and if he gets got hold of and has yeah. a breakout game, he will never come out of that team. I am absolutely convinced about it. He's quicker than anybody. He can go shoulder to shoulder than anybody. He can dribble you. He can tackle you in the recovery. He's got everything. And, and more than Gwendozi, I'm telling you this. Gwendozi's got his spectacular passes, six yard diagonals with no pressure on the ball. When he's pressured, <laughs> when he's pressured. When he's pressured, oh, by the way, he's 19, right? He's not dead. So in, in a year's time, two years' time, 
he, he's going to develop these attributes. That's why we bought him at seven million quid, right? So in two years' time, he's going to have all these things baked into him. But right now, breakout, if he gets the game, it's, for me, it's made the nose. Okay, can I, I, quickly I, I say, absolutely um, love that. Uh, you can very quickly say, yeah. Really quickly. Uh, I love, love, love Maitland Niles. But if I'm betting on one of those two players, Ganduzi's going to make it because he's got that fucking intensity and mentality. Uh, and I pray I'm wrong. I'll absolutely fucking worship He's got a personality pool. He's got a personality pool that Maitland Niles hasn't got. But if Maitland Niles develops that personality, his his ability is higher. One, I, That's my look, opinion. Yeah, but, Guys, but you can't, you can't, bre- you can't put in character you can't put in that's my concern i think the uh, question but, paul though is yeah. you, you in order to be a breakout player you have to have opportunities to break out and the one advantage maitland niles will have on Ganduzi is it looks like he's going to get a lot of left back chances whereas Ganduzi's path to playing regularly is a little murkier so he just may not have the chance to break out um you know i'm going to go totally off brand you guys wouldn't if you got 30 guesses you won't guess who i'm going to say but I'm Leno. Gonna, <laughs> no, certainly not. He's going to be terrible. Uh, I'm going to say Alex Uwobi. There is going to no. There, look, you fuck up. You take that back, no, Elliot. Listen. I didn't come on this fucking pod with you for a year. Here your bullshit. We can freak out for you to turn around with. We're coming. What do you say? We're coming in the league second. No, I said third. third. Yeah, yeah. You do the if fuck up. Third, and a Wobie's going to be a... Br- I've been playing possum. Let, let me explain why. I think we are going to need a, a second team to play in the Europa League and in the domestic cups. And you're, you're sure as shit not going to want to put out your 30-year-olds, you know, Mkhitaryan, uh, Ozil, Aubameyang, at least not in the group stage. Have you seen Alex Awobi lately? He is monstrous. His body has developed. He is strong. And... You know, he's hard to get off the ball. He's got quick feet. The only thing missing is the decision-making in the final third. And maybe the slightly less intense and slightly less pressure-filled environment of Europa League will give him that breath to relax just a little, not and be so hard on himself. And a more defined and role. Exactly. And, yeah. and a game plan that relies on his athleticism more than his decision-making with pressing. I think it's all set up if it's ever going to happen for a Wobie at Arsenal. And I mean, it's already kind of happened, not, not to say that he's been terrible for us, but I think this season, this system, this opportunity in that second rotation could suit him perfectly. So we shall see. As you know, I have always been a huge admirer of Alex Awobi. So oh, with that, liberty. we are ready to start the Premier League season. We play Manchester City on Sunday at the Emirates. It is a phenomenal way to kick off a new season. We have a new coach. We have tons of new things going on. I have to tell you, I am not just someone who uh, gets to talk on this pod. I am a listener to this podcast. I love listening to Paul and Tim and Clive and Scott come on this pod. After we've recorded it, I listen to it. I learn a lot from you guys. So I just want to thank you guys. It is a pleasure to be able to do this with you. I want to thank those of you who are listening love you. Thank you so much because you give us the opportunity to come on here and have these chats, which are so much fun and and so enjoyable for me to be a part of. And this season will be the best of all because there's so much new stuff to discuss. And through the highs and lows, I think it will be really interesting. There was a point last season, I think after the loss against Birmingham, uh, not Birmingham, um, Brighton, where there just felt like there was nothing left to say. And now it feels like it is all new again. So that renewal will be great for all of us, I think. And hopefully we're geared up to have a great season. Paul, thank you so much. I look forward to doing the season with you. You can find Paul on Twitter at Pants. 
Yeah, I'd just like to join you, Elliot, in, in saying that to the fans. Fuck them. Yep, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> Worked up the, the most eloquent, articulate statement I could make, and that's what I get in return. Uh, you can see, dear listener, why I do this week in, week out. Uh, however, I know I can count on better from Clive. Clive is on Twitter, Clive PAFC. Clive, I look forward to chatting um, with you more than Paul. Yeah. Come on, Clive. I was, 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 was going to say something nice, but um, <laughs> Paul, Paul's <laughs> emptied my brain of anything sensible. Say so it, I'll Clive. just say, say, I'll just say thank once. you. Just oh. say thank you very much, and I'm very fortunate to have this platform, and I appreciate you guys. So thanks no, very much. We really appreciate you too. So, look, we'll uh, we have a lot of new things coming up. We are going to do a live halftime show uh, for the city game. You'll be able to find that on our podcast under live audio uh, on our podcast on our website arsenalvisionpodcast.com. We'll also tweet out the links to that. There won't be any sign up needed. There won't be. You don't need to be a Patreon subscriber. What we will do is put the recordings of those live shows up for patrons. Um, we will also uh, for this post city podcast patrons will have the ability to listen in live as we record it uh which you know is something but again the podcast will always be free the the stuff that we love talking about the stuff that we put out everything we do that will be free for everyone and we want everyone to feedback and get involved and again we're so appreciative of that so if you can support us on patreon we we love you for doing it if you can't we still love you for being a part of this and we look forward to the season everyone except paul who i am not giving a final word to so with that having <laughs> yes, been said thinking. no no I don't, I, I don't have yes, control of his microphone. about the people who don't contribute to patreon uh, yeah yeah you know what you're cut off uh in any event everybody up the arsenal here's to a wonderful season a great season of of interacting of all getting involved of chatting and most importantly of a treble we'll talk to you after arsenal 10 city number